There's so many people who are traveling this weekend, but thank God you are here. <laughs> and we can celebrate together as a family of God. Now today, we want to go into a topic in a book that addresses the challenges that human beings will go through as we go through life, there will be times when you ask questions like, why is this happening to me? Why me and not someone else? And what did I do to deserve this? Have you ever asked such a question? More generally, why do bad things happen to good people? Of course, sometimes we know that we suffer because we have made mistakes in life bad decisions, whether financial or relational or even regards to our health. And those, we can take it because we know the cause. But there are times when we go through difficulties in life and it seems like it comes out of nowhere. But the truth we want to focus on in this sermon is that much of our grief and pain does not come as punishment for our sins or mistakes that we have made in life. Much of it. And the character that we're going to look at is Job, who suffered much and who suffered more than any human being on this earth, perhaps, except we could say the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And his suffering seems to come out of nowhere and have no connection to his character. Because when we open the book, we have a statement of Job's character. He was blameless and upright. And one who feared God and who shunned evil. He was a godly man. He had a wholehearted devotion to God. And God had blessed him with property. In those days, it was mostly movable property on four legs. Sheep and oxen and camels and, and servants, okay, two legs. And he was blessed with ten beautiful children. And he was considered the greatest man of the East. And not only did he fear God, but he also feared God on behalf of his ten children. Every time they had a party, he would make sure that he would offer some kind of, you know, sacrifice or what, to make sure that, you know, they are taken care of in case they, they curse God in their hearts without him knowing. So this was his pattern of life. He was the devout man. You could not find someone as God-fearing as Job. And you could not find someone as blessed as Job. And in the Jewish mind, the two always went together. The people who are the most righteous are the people who are most blessed in terms of material, wealth, and health, and so on. Okay? A perfect picture. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, calamity strikes. In one day, he loses all his possessions, and he loses his ten children. And when we look at the cause of what had happened, we know that two of those calamities were caused by evil men, 
which not, should not be surprising because at that time, you don't have the United Nations. There were no nations, states. There were only people groups, and the stronger people will always subdue the weaker, and, and there will be raiding bands that will just go out and you know, raid what other people had. That was what some cultures did for a living. So the Sabians and the Chaldeans were responsible for some of his losses, but then there were two other causes of his losses. One was when fire fell from heaven. No one could have done that. And the fire that, uh, you know, erupted, destroyed his livestock. And a strong wind came and blew upon the house where his ten children were partying and the house collapsed and all of them were killed in it. And you know, the strong wind and the fire is what insurance companies call acts of God, which means you cannot even claim insurance if that happened to you, okay? Insurance companies are very clever. <laughs> there are some things that, you know, they blame somebody else for, <laughs> which means not covered. Now, when this had happened, do you think that Job knew why these calamities had come on him? Do you think he knew, oh, yes, I know, this is what's happening in my life? Of course not. He had no idea. He had no idea that something had happened just prior to these calamities. In another realm, in another place, which he is not privy to, he does not know. But the author has given us a preview before this happened. Okay? And we read this in Chapter 1, verse 6 to 12, where there is a meeting between God and Satan. And in this story, it's so strange that, you know, the day came when, the, when the, the sons of God, most likely the angels of God, came to report to God. They were presenting themselves before God. You know, it's like uh, cabinet ministers reporting for duty, you know. And... Then among them came Satan, the accuser of God's people. And he also came to report to God. Now, does that blow your theology? <laughs> does that mess things up a bit? Yeah, this book has a lot of things like that, okay? <laughs> it seems like Satan is also reporting for duty. Okay? And he has to answer to God. He's running to and fro the earth, but he cannot do as he pleases. And it is God who broached the topic. It is not Satan. It is God who says in verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? Talking to Satan. In other words, have you even considered that I have such a servant called Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. God is beaming with pride because he loves Job and he's so proud of Job. Okay. 
And it seems like he's literally boasting about Job to the devil. If God ever boasts about you, watch out. <laughs> Trouble might be coming, okay? <laughs> and we get the impression that up until that moment, Satan had not even thought about Job. Job was not on his radar. He was running, busy running to and fro the earth. And, you know, Job was not even on his radar until God said, have you considered? By the way, do you, do you know there's such a man called Job? And I'm so proud of him. And then... Satan talks to God. He's not impressed with this man, Job. Verse 9, let's look at it. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him or a fence around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. You know, he is so prosperous. He's so blessed. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. Wow. Wow. Satan is insinuating. Job does not love you. He only loves your gifts. <laughs> you treat him like Santa Claus. <laughs> You're like Santa Claus showering gifts on him. No wonder he loves you. And not only have you blessed him with all this property, all these animals, and his family, and you have also put a fence around him. And even if I wanted to touch him, I cannot. I have no access. That's why he's not on my radar. <laughs> I'm busy somewhere else because this man cannot be touched. That's what, Job, uh, that's what Satan is, is saying. But do you know why he loves you, fears you? He only fears you because of your blessings. He doesn't really love you. He's just using you. And he's enjoying all these blessings. Now, how would God respond if somebody comes to you, his name is S.A. Tan, and he says, you know that brother, that sister, he only loves you because you have blessed him. La. If you take away something from him, la, he's going to curse you, man. How do you think God should respond? How would you want God to respond? If I were the person, I would say, God, please don't answer him. Just tell him, shut up. I know my servant. I know his heart. I don't need to test him. Case closed. <laughs> that would have been the good response, right? I know my servant. There's no need for you to insinuate. But... Surprisingly, almost shockingly, verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, okay, you can have a go at him. Behold, 
all that he has, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, you know, it is shocking that God would allow the devil to have a go at him. Okay? But then he sets the limit. You see, Satan is limited in his abilities. Sometimes people have this idea, you know, Satan has all power, he can do everything. It's not true. The Bible is very clear that God sets boundaries around what Satan can do and what he cannot do. And he needed permission before he could touch Job. And once permission was granted, he says immediately he went. He lost no time. And in one day, Job experienced unimaginable loss. None of us here would ever even come close to understanding what he went through. And the question we ask is this, how could God allow this to happen to any human being? What is more troubling is, how could God instigate Satan to do all that to Job? Huh? This is a very difficult question to answer. And I can only conclude that the story of Job is actually primarily not about Job, it is about God. This is a story about God. And the question that is difficult is not why do we suffer? We live in a fallen world, so suffering is part of human life. Right? It comes, it goes. Some people have more, some people have less. But the more difficult question for us is why does God make us suffer? Why does God make His children, whom He loves, to suffer? And Job never gets the answer, by the way, even to the end of the story. You know? It's just that he doesn't need the answers anymore. Right? But how would he respond? He has lost everything he had. And in verse, and, and, and we want to know, would he curse God? As Satan insinuated, in verse 20, then Job arose. He tore his robe, which is a sign of mourning in those days. Okay? He shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshipped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Bless be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So, Satan said to God, if you take everything away from him, he will curse you to the face. He was wrong. Satan was wrong. Job did not curse God when he lost all his wealth and his children. He did the exact opposite. He worshipped and he blessed God. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. You, you, if you came early enough, you sang the song just now. Blessed be your name when the sun shining down on me, you know, when the world is all that it should be, right? Blessed be your name, you know, in, when I'm found in a desert place, huh? when there's pain in the offering, and, right? So that is basically a song that is inspired by these verses, the Lord gave, 
the Lord has taken away. We sang it just now. Remember the words? You give and take away, you give and take away, right? My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. In so doing, Job declared that God was more valuable to him than even his possessions and even his own children. He submits himself to God in complete trust. And he worshipped God. He said, God, I had nothing. And I came into this world. And when I go out, I will have nothing too. I mean, I may have lots of things, but I cannot take anything out. I will go out the same way I came. It was God who gave me everything I ever had, and He has the right to take everything away from me. He is the giver. He's the taker. We love the first part only, right? He's the giver. <laughs> Sometimes God is also the taker. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God, you entrusted this to me for a season. I enjoyed it tremendously, completely, but now you have taken it away from me. I didn't deserve it. It was not mine. It belonged to you all the time. You loaned it to me, and you have the right to take it back when you deem it right. So, Satan lost. Job worshipped. He didn't curse God. He recognized that God was generous. God was kind. God was loving and wise. And God was still God. The same God. Even when He takes everything from Him, He is still good. And His name will still be glorified. So Job had the right theology. You see, Sometimes, as Christians, we get this idea that if anything bad happens to us, it's Satan. If we lose anything, it must be Satan. As if Satan is in control of our lives. But we know through the revelation of the Scriptures, not just in Job, but which is one of the earliest books of the Bible, by the way, all the way through Revelation, we see that God is sovereign. It's not the devil who has a free hand. Okay. It was not Satan who took away everything he had. It was the sovereign Lord who took away because he has the right to do so. Yeah, it's difficult to accept that, but this is the theology of the Bible. And in spite of all that, he's still a good God. He's still a loving and a wise God in all he does. Amen. I'm saying amen to encourage myself since you won't say. <laughs> Sometimes when we go through painful times and loss, you know, we are tempted to think evil of God or, or rather think bad of God. You know? We think unthinkable, you know, like, God, do you know what's going on in my life? As if it doesn't. You know? God, do you understand what I'm going through? God, do you care at all that I'm suffering and you're not bringing relief? Do you enjoy seeing me suffer? <laughs> Are you some co uh, cosmic sadist up there? No, he's not. Job passed the test. In all this, Job did not charge God with wrong. God does no wrong to anyone. Amen? 
That is the right response to tragedy. Job is outstanding. So here he is. He's hurting, and yet he's worshipping. He's still recovering from the shock of losing all his property, especially his ten children. And just as he's, he's trying to get, come to terms with it, and he's not even overcome that, suddenly, out of nowhere, a dreaded disease comes to him, and he has boils all over his body. All over his body, that means he can never find rest. He cannot sit, he cannot lie down, he cannot sleep, he can hardly eat, and there's a long description of all that went through in his, uh, happened in his body, which I, I will not spoil your lunch. Okay? And when we read that, we ask ourselves, God, is that how you treat the people who love you? What's going on here? This is a challenge that you, you and I will face sometime in our lives. And as pastors, we face it more than you because we are called upon to minister to people who are hurting, who have lost you know, something that's so dear to them. And we, we try to comfort them, but we don't have the answers. We don't have the answers. At least in this life, we do not yet have the answers. But it doesn't change the fact that there is a reason behind everything that happens. We do not live in a random universe. We live in a very predictable universe. This morning, the sun rose on the same side of the sky. You can count on it. Why? Because we live in a universe where God has ordered everything. God does not act arbitrarily for no reason whatsoever. We know in Romans 8.28, Paul said that God is able to work all things, all things, not, he didn't say God is able to work good things. He says all things, which will mean even the painful experiences of our lives, God is able to work for good. It may not be good on the outside, but He can work it for good for those who love Him and for those whom He have called according to His purpose. That means there is a purpose behind everything. Ephesians 1.11, Paul says, God works all things after the counsel of His will. That means there is a will. There is a purpose behind it. And this gives us comfort that we can go on in life when we do not understand. We know that at least God understands. Can you say amen? And one day we may understand and we will understand some of life's troubles seem so random. Isn't that, isn't that true? You know, uh, you know, we just came back from America two, about two weeks ago. And in, every day in America, there are random shootings. People get killed. Okay? Just today, 
Another five people were shot in Texas. Okay? And sometimes you, you, you ask, you know, why? You know, what do these people do to deserve it? Right? It's like so random. That's what it appears to be. We don't know why things happen. Job does not know why. Until then, he's not aware that when misery adds upon misery, suddenly he lost his health on top of losing his family and his possessions. And he doesn't know why. There is something else happening behind the scenes which he's not privy to. Again, you and I can read the story, but Job did not read the story. Until the end, he didn't know. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And if you are alert, when you read this, you say, Oh no, here we go again. <laughs> All right? Satan is reporting to God again. Let's see what's going to happen. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And you say, Oh no, not again. Okay, God is boasting about Job to Satan one more time. And the shocking part is the next verse. What does it say? This is what God is saying to Satan. Job is still holding fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. If that doesn't mess your theology, I don't know what will. <laughs> what? You mean Satan incited God to destroy Job without a cause? Wait a minute. That's not what it really means. He tried to. He tried to, but it doesn't mean that he succeeded. You see, Satan can incite, to try and incite God to do something, but God would only do whatever fulfills his purpose. In this case, it fulfilled his purpose to test Job, to prove who Job really was, what was really in his heart. So relax, don't worry. Satan cannot incite God to do anything that is against his will, against his loving kindness, tender mercies and purposes and wisdom. Can you say amen? Amen or few, you know. <laughs> so that was his purpose. He wanted to destroy Job without a cause. Of course, God did not allow him to go to the final extent. And Satan probably was surprised to hear, huh? 
consider my servant Job? You mean you're going to give me another shot at this man? <laughs> I can't believe my ears. <laughs> and as a result, he was given another shot. Okay? And God tells Satan, this man is still holding on to me in spite of what you have incited me to do. Okay? He continues to worship me. He continues to fear me. <clears throat> and Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he gives for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will surely curse you to your face. Whoa. What is Satan saying? He's saying to God, you don't know this man. I know him more. Losing his property, he can take it. Losing his children even, yeah. But the one thing that he will not want to lose is his health. Job is in love with his own health. And that is the most precious thing to him. And if you remove his health from him, he will curse you to the face. <laughs> now, uh, I think I can identify a little bit with Mr. Job. Because health is one of my highest values in life. From young, you know, that, that's been the way I've lived my life. You know. There are certain things that I choose not to eat because... It's not good for my health. There's certain things that I choose to eat even though it's not nice to eat because it's good for my health, right? And I try to exercise regularly and uh, I enjoy my health very much. And if one day God takes my health away, I don't know whether I will bless God or curse God. <laughs> I'm just being honest, okay? I find it very hard to worship God when I'm sick. Some people can, you know, sick, headache, worship God. To me, if I'm sick, I sleep, that's all I can do. Hello, I'm just being real to you, okay? <laughs> all right. So, I don't know if, if God allows such a, such a trial on my life, you know, whether I will bless God or curse God, I'll just say, God, please let me sleep and go home, <laughs> okay? <laughs> all right. So, this was the test. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. In other words, there is a limit. You can go so far, but no further. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. That means there's no part of his body he can lie on. Every part he lie on, ouch, pain. No rest. And he took for himself a pot shirt which is a broken piece of pottery and with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Now, for the first time, we are told that Satan is acting directly. It says, Satan struck Job with painful boils. How would he respond? Before we know how he responds, Mrs. Job comes into the picture. 
Now, all this while, you didn't hear about Mrs. Job, right? Now, who suffered the losses more, Mr. Job or Mrs. Job? Who bore those 10 children for nine months, carried those 10 children, nursed those 10 children? Who? Mr. Job or Mrs. Job? Mrs. Job! She suffered more than Job. And we don't hear of her until suddenly she comes into the picture. And she has reached her limit. You know, she couldn't take it anymore. And verse 9, chapter 2, Then his wife, Mrs. Job, came to him and said, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Whoa. Very strong. If your wife comes and says this to you, huh, how are you going to respond? Huh? Are you going to say, Amen? <laughs> huh? Now, the word curse in this verse comes from the same Greek, uh, same Hebrew word, barak, which all, every other time, almost every other time, is translated bless. Okay? So, the literal translation would go, bless God and die. That is what the Hebrew is actually saying. Okay? But, the meaning is not that. Because it is used in an ironic manner. It's used cynically. There are a few times in the Bible where this same word, which normally would be translated as bless, is translated curse because that's the actual meaning. If you and I read bless God and die, we would have missed the, the nuance of the language. It is as if Mrs. Job is telling her husband, I cannot believe you. After all that God has done to you, you are still holding on to Him? Come on! Bless God and die! Okay. Does that sound blessed or, or cursed? The meaning is curse, even though the word actually means bless. Okay. So, now, how would you respond if you are Mr. Job? And he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Stop it there, okay? What did, she, what did he say? Did he say, You foolish woman, stop speaking! Then he is in deep trouble. <laughs> he didn't say that. Okay? What he said was, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks, which means, honey, I know this is not you. This is not the way you normally talk, okay? I know this is too much for you. And unfortunately, what you said sounds like one of the foolish women, okay? So, which way should you speak to your wife? The first one that says, you foolish woman, stop speaking. Huh? Honey, I know this is not you. This is not the way you normally speak. But I know you cannot take it anymore and you're talking like one of those foolish women, which I know you're not. <laughs> which one should you use? First one or second one? Husband, then answer. <laughs> Maybe you have tried the first one. <laughs> I got into trouble. <laughs> okay. And 
And he tries to reason with her. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? Which means, you know, do we actually value God when, when he gives us good or do we value him less when he doesn't give us what we want? Is God precious or only his gifts and health is precious? And he expects her to answer, yes, we should accept. God has given good. God has every right to take it away, to give us loss and pain. And in so doing, we see Job had correct theology about two things here. First, he has correct theology about who God is, the God of the universe. He knows that there is only one ruler in the, in the universe. And he does not believe what a lot of people today believe still, that the universe is a dualistic battle between God and Satan, you know, that there is the light, power, the, the power of light and darkness, you know, and sometimes the light wins, sometimes the darkness wins, you know. And this is what, very common in some religions, right? He doesn't believe that. He believes that God is sovereign. God is in total control. Can you say amen? He is not having a, a contest with Satan to determine who is going to win and who is going to lose. Whatever power Satan has is limited by God. God sets the limits to what pain he can cause. He cannot even make one move without explicit permission from God. Yes, the Bible says in the in book of Peter that Satan is like a lion prowling around to look for people to devour, but he cannot go beyond a certain limit that is a leash on his leg, in that sense, when he wants to attack the people of God. He's limited. And in so doing, he is doing what God wanted him to do without realizing it. Just like when he crucified the Son of God, he thought he won, but actually he lost. He doesn't know. He doesn't realize he's actually doing the will of God because he's limited. And so, this is idea of God being the sovereign over the universe and everything that happens on earth is found in a few other passages. Amos 3.6, If a trumpet is blown in the city, will not the people be afraid? If there is a calamity in the city, will not the Lord have done it? In other words, nothing happens apart from our God. Isaiah 45.7, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. God creates calamity as well. I, the Lord, do all these things. Lamentation 3.38, it is, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Wow. Nothing takes God by surprise. The good and the bad. Never will you find God wringing His hands and shaking His head and wondering what on earth is happening. So Job knows who God is. He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. Job also knows who he is. He recognizes, who am I? I'm a sinful man. Who am I that I should counsel God, the Creator, how to perform according to His wisdom? It's ridiculous that 
a mortal man like me should even try to tell God, God, this is how you should treat me. You should only treat me with good wealth and health and prosperity. Who do I think I am? Who am I to tell God how to run his universe? Shall we receive good from God and not evil? Job is saying here, not only good things, even some of the bad things can work together for our good. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. So he passes the second test. He lost his health, but he refuses to curse God. He's willing to receive from God both good and evil, both good and bad experiences. And in so doing, he's declaring that God is more precious to him than possessions, family, and even his health because he clung on to God. He's declaring by his voice and by his words that God was all that he needed, that God was enough for him. And you know, just now we, uh, uh, and, and, and there's this song that, you know, we, we sung before, Christ is enough for me. Remember the song? Everything that I need is Christ. If I have Jesus Christ, I have all that I need. Even if I lose everything else, if I have Jesus, I have everything that I need. If I have everything and I lose Jesus, I have lost everything. Now, we, we agree with that. We intellectually assent to that. We sing it. But in a sense, we will never really experience the truth of that when life is really good. Rick Warren said this, you never know God is all you need until God is all you have. You never know God is all you need until God is all you have. The first part of the sentence, we don't mind. God is all I need. But the second part of the sentence is what you and I don't like. Hello? When God is all that you have. There are brothers and sisters in different parts of the world as we speak that have lost everything and God is all they have. And in that sense, God is all they need. And they recognize and they experience it. So this is a very difficult question. Can God be loving when He takes away everything from us? Can God be loving when He takes everything away from us? Do we love God for who He is or only because of the blessings that He has given to us? You know, I was preparing this sermon and meditating on this truth. And I asked myself this question, would I love God any less if He had not entrusted to me the blessings that I have enjoyed over the last 
20, 30 years, especially the last 20 over years here in Penang. As I reflected on this, I realized that, you know, uh, most pastors do not share this experience. You know? I mean, God has blessed and uh, increased and entrusted to our care so many people that, uh, you know, we are struggling to keep up with the names, you know, trying to, if I ever ask you for your name, you know, don't be offended because it hasn't stuck yet, okay? And, you know, and I look back and I remember that when we first started the ministry, the first 10 years, 11 years in Baru, and the first one, two years here as well, we knew everybody. I knew everyone's name. I knew their children's name. I knew the name of the dog even. I knew the car they drove and the number plate. I knew every, everybody because there were only about 100 old people to know. Okay? And life was simple, especially when we, we look back over the time in Jobaru, you know, we literally, we had nothing much. Every month, we lived from month to month. We didn't even have a fridge to keep food, by the way. Every day, we went behind the house to the mini market, buy what we need, cook, eat, and that's it, done. Okay? No leftovers. Tomorrow, start again. You know, we live from month to month, and there's almost nothing in our bank account, but we never worried. And, you know, I don't know about Pastor Lydia, but those are some of the happiest years of my life, really. <laughs> There's no worry and no problems. <laughs> less people, less problems. <laughs> in a sense, okay. <laughs> you know, life was simple. You just preach God's word, love the people, visit them. That's all, you know. And tomorrow is another day, you know. And uh, we didn't have children for a few years. And even then, when our children were born, they were young, you know. And I look back and, and I ask myself, you know, if God, if that was all God entrusted to me, you know, all my 40 years in ministry, I'll just look after 50, 100 people, you know, or serve him in a small town, you know, nobody ever hears of you, you know, it's in some backwater. Would I still love God just the same and perhaps I would say, yeah. In fact, it's easier to love God like that <laughs> because, you know, God is all you have. <laughs> you know, there are no distractions in life, so to speak. Okay? Life is very simple. Okay? But life gets more complex <laughs> when we have more. And there's more to be responsible for in that sense. Okay? But as we conclude, let us affirm God is sovereign in our lives. Amen? There's no two masters of the universe fighting for control. There's only one God. And He is in absolute control. Nothing happens without His knowledge or permission. And sometimes we don't understand this. Job did not know the end of the story. I mean, you and I can grit our teeth and say, okay, I know this is tough, but I know how the story is going to end. So I can bear with it. But Job had no such privileged information. He, didn't, he, he couldn't read the story of his life. It was not over. It was going on. He didn't know how it was going to end. All he knew was, now I'm in this situation. And I choose to hang on to God. But in the meantime, I'm suffering. It's okay to cry, grieve. Tears are natural response to calamity and loss. It does not mean you have lost your faith. There were times when 
Pastor Lin and I, we would just cry and cry for days. Yeah. You would say, have we lost our faith? No. This is part of the journey of life. It doesn't mean we have lost our faith. It simply means we are processing what's going on. And we can worship and bless God even in the midst of suffering, pain, and grief. It's possible. There's one man who shows us it is. Even though he could not understand why. We understand why. We read the end of the story. He, he did not. And he was hanging on to God. We can trust in God's goodness and treasure him even in the midst of loss. Trust that he is good, he's loving, he's wise, and he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. When you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. Let's bow and pray. Father, as we bow in your presence, we are humble at how good you are, how great you are, how wise, how generous, how loving, how merciful, how you have led us, provided for us, protected us. And even the, the negative experiences that you have allowed into our lives, you had a purpose. Father, we pray for those who are processing what they have gone through in the past, who have suffered loss. God, that you will come, you will comfort them, that you reveal yourself to them as you did to Job. And we pray for those of us as we go into the future, some with uncertainties, some with fear and doubt, that you help us to remember that you alone are the sovereign God. You alone are the loving God. And you will never allow anything to happen to us without a good purpose. And for your glory, for our good. Father, we thank you. We can trust you. close with this song.